like any experience of the holy, my first memories of trees come wrapped in fear and trembling. I think of my uncles covered in pitch and mud, half deaf from the loud machines that rang in their ears all day, forgetting the customs kind of for the customs of being indoors. They return from the forest yelling about stories of near misses or worse. They'd shake their heads at a fellow logger's carelessness their foolishness, their inevitable failure to remember how small we are amongst the giants, their failure to be humble. To go to the forest was always a lesson in humility, a lesson in hard work, of course, and a lesson in perseverance. To go to the forest was a lesson in understanding your place in everything, a lesson in paying attention. There is no knowing for a fact, Richard Powers writes in his epic fable about people and trees. He writes, there is no knowing for a fact. There is only humility and looking. There's no knowing for a fact. There's only humility and looking. The forest reminds you of this truth over and over again, often not very politely. Still today, when someone is acting too caught up in themselves or making their problems seem all insurmountable, as if life should be ever truly just about them, my mom will dismiss them with a comment about how they just need to go to the rigging. And by the rigging, she means the place where all the equipment comes together, the rigging, the power saws, the chokers wrapped, that wrap themselves around that massive tree, dragging it with brute force into the machine that then lifts it into the truck. But also really, she means the experience of being there in the middle of all of that equipment, life, threatening equipment and the humbling, powerful trees while the rain is coming at you sideways, hard, and the ground beneath you filled with ditches and other dangers. That is the rigging. By the time my grandfather, Lawrence, came to Forks, Washington, yes, now of twilight fame. After serving in World War II, the logging industry was already in decline. Undeterred though, he got himself a rig and opened up shop as Soderland Logging, which eventually became Soderland and Sons, and then after he died, Soderland Brothers. Lawrence was not planning to get rich by logging, but just survive, feed his wife and his seven kids, go give to his church, support his community, make a life, recover from the trauma of war. He'd load up his rigs with log and logs and drive too fast around the swerves of Lake Crescent along the dark one-lane highway in the pre-dawn hours, delivering it all probably to a log yard in Port Angeles where it would get been resorted into either ships in the harbor or to one of the local pulp and paper mills. While my mom grew up 
on one side of this supply chain in Forks. My childhood was actually spent on the other side, that is in the boom days of the 1970s and the 1980s, there were three working mills in my hometown, Port Angeles's harbor. My grandfather, paternal grandfather, Gus, worked for most of his career at what was called Pope and Talbot. Eventually that was that mill was bought and became Merrill and Ring, or as we called it, MR. He retired from there. Large plumes of smoke coming from all across our waterfront meant happiness, at least according to my grandfather and my uncle, who also went to work there every day too for his whole career. Maybe because popular culture tends to confuse logging with clear cutting, or maybe because that is what it mostly became in the late 20th century as Weyerhaeuser and others grew to be behemoths, buying up all the land and all that fancy fast felling equipment and came for large swaths of every hillside up and down the peninsula or so it seemed for a while growing up. Maybe this is why when I try to tell people that I come from loggers and mill workers, and that's my way of signaling my deep connection with trees and the earth, especially when I say this to people who identify as environmentalists, I usually get from them the same look that I give when an evangelical pastor's wife tells me that she'd love to get some coffee sometime because we have so much in common. To be human, this is also from the overstory, to be human is to confuse a satisfying story with a meaningful one. It is a satisfying story to imagine that there are two kinds of people, people who care about the trees and then the people who cut trees down. Just as it was satisfying to our community to believe that the ways that they had lived for generations could keep going as is, if only we could convince people to stop saving the spotted owl instead of the pitch covered logger and the thermos carrying mill workers. I mean, seriously, for years, any town parade that I went to, and there were a lot of them in our towns, featured people hunting that spotted owl or mounting it up on the grill of the biggest rig in town. Gloriously, it really was satisfying. The more meaningful story, however, the truer story, is much more complicated than any of these. My uncles were, after all, the first to teach me about how for every tree they cut, they needed to plant three to replace it, and how much time and care and humility and looking it would take to ensure that the Pacific Northwest would always mean a place where every direction you look, there are trees or ocean. Not to mention one day, the head of the Clinton administration's effort to protect that spotted owl, he came to church one day at the Foothills Unitarian Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it turned out he had a heart for my uncles and was just as devastated 
decades later that no understanding could be reached as any of us that were marching in those parades. We were taught a story that said we were enemies. We were on opposite sides, each out for each other's demise. We were caught in a story that was too small to get at the bigger truth of what we were actually a part of, too caught by the impotent urgency of politics, the seduction of profit, the violence of colonialism, patriarchy, white supremacy. But all of these were just costumes ill-fitting our inheritance and our legacy if we don't learn something else and quick. Sometimes when I go back to the Northwest, I can't get over how much the trees and the clouds limit what you can see depending on where you are. Everything is so close in. But here, here under our wide Colorado sky, here I wonder if we can learn, I mean we could remember a bigger story, a more meaningful story. Perhaps here we can remember that we are all members of the Douglas Fir Nation, the Ponderosa Pine Nation, the Aspen Nation, the trees are our source of our lives no matter which side we are on loggers or tree huggers that's what my uncles would call them the forest is the source of life for us all here we could learn i mean remember to pledge our allegiance to mutual care and flourishing the lessons of this nation these the laws of this nation pledge our allegiance to interdependence and generational responsibility, humility, and looking, the lessons of the forest. Did you know that when the roots of firs meet underground, they join vascular systems so that if one gets ill, the other cares for it? Or that when a tree is cut down, all of the nearby trees to that tree get a little weaker as if in mourning. It's a more meaningful story, but that doesn't mean it's easier. There is so much to unlearn, to remake, to rebuild and to grow. Economies and laws and notions of time are all implicated. We are all implicated. We are all responsible. And yet what Robin Wall Kimmerer teaches is that responsibilities and gifts are actually just the same thing. She says, when you ask, what is your responsibility? It's the same as asking, what is your gift? And so let us receive this bigger story, this more meaningful story, this greater allegiance as an incredible gift that is also our inheritance. And in gratitude, offer it as our legacy. May it be so, and amen.